0: um right then um so good morning good afternoon good evening good overnight I'm Anthony Bryce and I'm Jonathan Bradley so um what a what a crazy
1: night last night and yeah I mean absolutely mental
0: so ooh, for those, so of, for you those you of you, you oh have you changed some settings was that gone now um for those of you that um joined or are listening to the recording in the future we are um reminiscing after England's got through to their first final in a international tournament for 55 years, 1966, I believe. So, yeah, very exciting times, isn't it, JB? Can you hear that?
1: Three lines on my shirt sorry so the, i couldn't
0: resist it the, the beauty is with noise cancelling headphones and microphones is it was fighting against that from noise cancellation oh <laughs> but never mind i'll
1: leave the music and technicals to you in the future and i really shouldn't have done so well, i would have
0: done it for you as well however of course i'm in an office today for no, the first that time is recording the this.
1: exciting news for our podcast listeners and is now officially in his new office, and I'll tell you what, it looks wicked, wicked span and beautiful.
0: It's been painted. And it's
1: actually, he's, he's got a matching t-shirt to go with his white walls.
0: Yes, It right.
1: He looks seriously
0: branded thanks yeah 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 with the office very pure um uh, anyway yes so last night ladies and gents um, England went through to their first final in 55 years um and that's very exciting me and JB aren't probably your traditional football supporters but it's difficult not to get swept up in the moment isn't it JB
1: well it's also very hard when you were never picked for any of the teams <laughs> um I'd be I would be the one literally behind the goal. Kind of with my jumper over my knees in the cold, just thinking, you know, I really can't kick a ball. I've got no coordination uh, with my feet uh, kicking a ball. I was a bit more of a rugby player because I can actually just about catch a ball um, and then run like hell with it. So I was quite, I was actually quite good at rugby. But I am um, as blind as a bat. I'm astigmatic. And uh, I think long sighted as well. So my prescription is one of the worst that you could have, according really? to my optician. Yeah,
0: interesting.
1: Uh, before you become a mole. Um, and so <laughs> y- you can imagine playing football uh, without your specs on when you can't actually see is a little bit hilarious. So that's why I think I spent quite a long time being grumpy about not being selected for cricket teams, football teams. In fact, any, any, any sport, uh, you can imagine me with darts and things like that, really a bit dangerous um, yeah. anyway. So yeah, that's why uh, I know absolutely bugger all about football. But when your country has been through uh, such a nightmare of uh, an 18 months and then suddenly you're in the finals of this uh, beautiful game, which I'm now calling it, <laughs> uh, I, wow. I, it's irresistible it's absolutely irresistible it's it's fabulous and i you know if we win great if we don't i still i still think it's great and i think we have a phenomenal uh, manager in gareth southgate and i think we really should um celebrate the fact that we at last have a really decent manager who's pulled
0: together a really decent team so we thought bearing in mind this is the leadership podcast we thought we would perhaps use that as one of the themes for today which is what role has leadership in terms of gareth southgate had and what can we learn from it for business because we often talk about um mm-hmm. leaders and the impact they have on businesses and their people and doing what's right for the business as in the cause as well as what's doing right for the people so we thought we'd kick that about we also as ever have I like what to... you did there thanks what do you mean pulling it into a into well, no, the podcast? kicking it about Oh, I, yeah, so I didn't you didn't even that. know how. thing
1: when you when you pass
0: the ball back to me, JB, I had no choice <laughs> but to adopt it.
1: Which are we can um, do that in the first half or the second half.
0: Bosh! I love it. Bosh! Love it. Um, you. I think you've just scored from a penalty right there.
1: <sighs> and the crowd have gone wild here tonight. They thought it was all over. Well, it, it is isn't now. now. We oh, still. No, you've, unfortunately for you, we've got another fifty minutes of this
0: so get what through. we will do so we do have some listener questions if you are listening um and you're in the audience you can submit your live questions um if you have listened to our recordings and you want to send in a question at globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or global glp at com, both come through to us and we will then put it in and we have got some questions to go through but let's kick off jb before we get any further um on mr southgate then what is In your mind, you you made some references to it there. What is it that you said, finally, we have a great manager that's brought the team together. Um, What is it in your mind that that has made him great and got the team to the final?
1: Well, so uh, I think, you know, in a way you have to go back uh, to what they were carrying um, before, which was this massive history of failed world cups and failed euros um so the first thing he had to do actually was to to get rid of that burden on their shoulders um which i think you know gradually he he did that um you know by communicating to them uh and getting them to kind of do their own pr on it you know like the we we, we just have to leave that history behind um what they what they did have and what i think he's managed brilliantly is this massive expectation um from uh the country because of things like covid the pressure that we've all been under you know they they had to they have had to really step up uh within that pressure i think southgate has done a brilliant job um, of just assembling a team of people who who excuse my french give a shit about each other uh they are not a bunch of individuals um, kind of doing their own thing. He's he's actually formed a group of people who not only care about each other, uh, they they care about their performance and how they work together. You can see it in the way that they are passing those balls. Um, they are incredibly competent uh, football players. There, there is absolutely, in, in a way I haven't seen for years, I haven't seen that level of competence. So they've been obviously working on that. I think their values uh, are very strong. Their cultural values are very strong. Uh, a lot of those players have got outside interests in the community and have done a lot of good stuff. Um, so, you know, I think giving them that sense of of being uh, part of England and being part of England's success has come uh in a diff in a different way it's not just because you're a flipping great talent and you go on and you're a megastar and you do your thing Beckham style uh and Beckham was brilliant however you know uh they 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 are prima ish. they were prima donnerish you know um as i say i'm not I, i'm not an expert in in football and i'm not trying to pretend that i am but what i what i do recognise is that gareth South, southgate is a great communicator uh, he's got a team uh, that work together really really effectively he's got the culture right and it's not just inside the team it's outside it's what they do um they they are all equal you know there's no great sort of hero worship uh of any particular player uh i mean rashim sterling is 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 definitely coming through as you know a, a bit of a star but I, there's a, there's a humility that comes from gareth southgate a, a real humility uh you know he's never promised that we'll win you know any of the matches uh, it's basically you know we're going to we're going to do our best um and we're going to use all our skills um, I'm going to give give my team their heads to do what uh, needs to be done. Uh, he, he's he's great strategically. He's got a big, you know. He kept last night. He kept a whole load of people um, ready to go uh, until we went into extra time, and then he played them. Unbelievable. I mean, that's that's quite risky. He's not he's not afraid to take a risk, um, and and stand stand up for that. So, I don't know. There's probably so much more one could say. Uh, what have I missed, Ant? There's there's probably more and more and more <laughs> Now stuff. I was going to
0: say, well, that's the podcast done. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I have to agree with everything you've said there. I, I want to pick up on a couple of leadership qualities that we've spoken about in previous podcasts, not with football, because I think it acts as good examples to bringing some of these competencies that we talk about to life. And the first one that I want to bring out is high-trust teams are high-performing teams. Yeah, yeah. Now, JB, you said a moment ago, which I wholeheartedly agree, that um, there is no egos. Well, there are probably egos, but they're under control. And actually, they all have a common cause. And they recognize they're better together than trying to be the glory moment people. And they trust each other's competencies and what they bring to the table. So I think, first of all, um, the leader. I'm going to rem- I'm going to remove Southgate from this for now, and I'm not just playing down him at all because I th- absolutely think he's critical. But to try and keep the 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 leadership nuance in 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 our listeners' minds as we go through this, the leader has assembled a group of people that are all high will, high skill. They all are hungry for it, which I agree with JB. I've seen too many tournaments where actually they're more interested in their Premier League contracts, for example. Um, or if they're playing internationally, their income and therefore the pressure from their football club not to injure themselves because then they won't be able to play domestically, etc. So I think there is a common interest now. And I think um, the other thing this leader has done is they have, to your point, been honest and transparent about what they're setting out to do. They have a clear vision of what they want to achieve and... Um, there is a recognition that actually the competencies of the leader is to trust in the leader um, and not try and, you know, And too often, in, again, we're probably going way too football on this, but I think it's useful, is if you look at Mourinho, um, Jose Mourinho, um, who was at Chelsea twice, United, Spurs, and a few other clubs, and they've never particularly ended well. And what seems to be a common thread more recently is there's almost been a revolt from the players, that they don't wanna work for that leader anymore. And as they're all bound by contracts, rather than just quitting and going to work for another club, they are electing to not perform, trust is reduced, and guess what, low trust, low performance. Eventually, their leader is rumbled and out they go. What Southgate has done is built a high-skill, high-will team, and has built a culture, to your point, JB, of values that, people believe in and actually they think he's authentic and I think there is a it seems to me certainly I don't think footballers are particularly good actors um it seems to me that the footballers believe in their their leader <clears throat> and trust their leader um and to your other point I think what's missing um if I may add one thing um I think as a leader um he has stood by what he believes in and his role as leader is a unique job and as such he's had to stand in the face of an awful lot of criticism if you i remember two weeks ago and we were still in the um is it the heats and they're called the heats aren't they well I forgot <laughs> there you go it, mine for me i get yeah. it um and he was playing very defensively and i remember you know social media was a wash with people going why is he playing that person again we just got a defense team out there why are we defending why are we defending and all of a sudden there's this you know we need to and, and the public you know, the consumers of the product that is produced by this leader they start actually this product is is actually okay and maybe we need to stop being critical so I think he's gone, and I said this to my wife and sister-in-law last night, he's gone from zero to hero in the space of a fortnight. You know, two weeks ago, my money was done. If we were knocked out before we got through to the final 16, he would be out. Um, and um, here we are, regardless of, to your point, regardless of whether we end up going on to win this, it's the furthest we've got in an international tournament in 55 years. Yeah. And... He's the only leader to have got to two semi finals in international tournaments ever. All other England managers or leaders, sorry, have only had that level of success once. He's the first one to have it twice, and he's the first person since 1966 to have them through to a final. So I think um, as a leader, he's had to stand in the face of probably his bosses as in the FA, saying, we believe in you, we trust you to make the right decisions. But you know when a boss says that to you as a leader, well, I trust you to do the right thing. That's their way of saying, excuse my language, don't fuck it up. Yeah. Um, so he naturally is, of course, going to listen to the journalists asking rather pressing questions. And we all know that the journalists will ask those difficult questions either for getting their own headlines to advance their own career or it is the question that is on everyone's lips. So I think he's had to show resilience, especially um, in the first half of the tournament. I think he's always been respected because, as you say, he's authentic. And actually, um, this is the other interesting thing. As a leader, he has done the job. Now, I know you and me, JB, sometimes say the competencies of a leader are different to that of the individual contributors. And I think that works in certain situations. But if I was an engineering director for a company, And I didn't know anything about what we were engineering. And I was just a people leader. I think we would struggle. I think when you get to a CEO level and you've got these expertise underneath you, that's a bit different. But I think um, in the case of of the England manager, Mr. Southgate, is that he's been through the highs and incredible lows, um, as we well know, because 25 years ago, it was his penalty that got him knocked out. And what I think that also should be as a lesson for you and I as consumers of all of this is that failure doesn't mean your career's done. Um, And I'm sure that moment you you, you saw it, you know, Terry Venables um, going over to comfort him afterwards and say, it's fine, you've done, you know, it's cool, it's cool. And and then all the team rallied around him in 96. I think probably in his mind at that point, he thought, that's it, I'm done. And ironically, he's now come on to probably be stronger than he would have been without the failure. So I think a lesson for leaders is, is failures as much as they feel bloody awful at the time, they probably make you a better character for it. Um, and probably similarly, you and me would say, and I think you and me often talk about stories and leadership settings in programs we run, where we we tend to lean more on our failures and our successes to give, bring to the audience, because I think that ironically brings our onth- and authenticity across. But equally, the audience then realise, actually, it ain't going to be plain sailing. I'm not a big fan of, you know, if, to your point, if it was Mourinho as our England manager, he would have probably been in every press conference, saying, well, we're going to win that team of shit, that team of shit, we, we, we're going to win. And I think um, it, it brings less belief in the team going, well, yeah, I guess he's playing up to the cameras. And there's a, But, you know, ironically, I think out of football, by all accounts, Mourinho is quite a nice, authentic individual, but put that hat on but I think what you see with Southgate is the same work and play he's a very calm reflective good listener so there we go we've both rambled a bit on this one but I don't know if I've made no, any I valid don't. points there I,
1: no well I don't I don't think you rambled at all
0: um I <laughs> did you just say I didn't ramble at all no you didn't rambled, <laughs> you? no we didn't
1: I um, I met a lovely little chap called Harry the other day not Harry Redknapp but um or your son Harry no, or my son Harry, or any other Harry, but this little guy. Um, I think, I think he's about seven or eight, and uh, I, I met him at this uh, campsite when I was um, off in the bung, bongo, and uh, and he was really, really, really bright, sweet little kid, and um, he uh, had this thing about kind of doing everything to perfection, um, and he was doing stuff with his little toys and. Um, you know, he was sort of doing special jumps and so on. And anyway, he ended up taking a bit of a shine to me. I don't know why, but anyway, so in the bongo, there's a little hole that you can go up through into the into the roof area. And he just thought that was the most exciting space on the planet, you know, where he could be an astronaut and all sorts of things. Anyway, so he, he started doing these special jumps from the bongo uh, onto the grass and he had to jump, he was setting up all these tasks himself to do. You sat there with a bottle of red going, on you go. (laughs) It was the most brilliant, he was so funny, it was so entertaining, as he kept um, succeeding at all these things he set himself. And uh, anyway, I said, Harry, uh, what I'd really be interested in is I want to see you fail, because all I'm seeing here is you setting yourself a target, which you then go and succeed at. I want to see how you actually cope um, with failing. And and I, I, I wonder whether you could do that for me. I'm not joking, this is absolutely true. Anyway, so um, he set himself these different targets and uh, he started failing. And what was quite interesting was that he started enjoying failing Hmm. And he started doing these magnificent roles in <laughs> slow motion of him with failing. Styling. All in the all in the style and all of this. And uh he he left he left us uh with his mum, who probably thought, What have you done? <laughs> um, saying, I like failing, I like failing, failing's the best and off he went into the into the distance. And I just the point i'm trying to make here is that uh sometimes we get caught up in setting such unrealistic expectations for ourselves and going a little bit perfectionist and you know if we don't succeed then i think sometimes people go into this quite sort of depressed state uh and it affects you know they the way that they um operate and enjoyment goes down, um, it's it's almost like a sort of either either I get this done to perfection or I'm going to absolutely have a catastrophic fail. There is no kind of middle ground where this isn't perfection and this isn't a catastrophe. I, I think what I was doing with Harry without really realizing it, I was just having a bit of fun with him was giving him the opportunity to actually get the idea that you don't have to succeed at everything and make it work brilliantly. You can actually quite enjoy uh, ultimately um, being confident in your own competence by failing a few things and, and seeing your life as a little bit of an experiment and experimenting with stuff. And so that's what I was doing with Harry. And, and he, he seemed to be enjoying his life more in that moment uh, than setting himself. I was a bit worried about him setting himself all of these ridiculous targets that he went, well, yes, he kept achieving it, but I wanted him to just see what else was available. What else can you do and try different things? And and he, he well, his mum reports since, that he just had the most brilliant afternoon failing. <laughs> um, and so I think of Gareth Southgate and his narrative, how fantastic, what a story that guy's got now, you know, Talk, we, right at the get-go, I talked about the, you know, getting over the history of um, the England team. Uh, Gareth Southgate, what what a great uh, bit of learning that we can all get from that, um, you know, the, the devastation that he must have felt when he missed that penalty sh- shot, um, and how he, how he has now made that part of his story in a really positive way, and how he's admired and respected um, because you know he's a he's a he's a trier, isn't he? And he and he he gives support uh, to the, all all of his team members to do their thing. He's not he's not compromised as a manager or leader. Um, by one or two players and without them we'd be screwed. And that's where we've been before. What what he's done is he's supported every player to do their thing well. He's given them massive confidence just to be good at what they do. And that that to me is what it looks like on that pitch. They are confident about what they're doing. They are supported to do their thing. And it's like I think that takes away all the history um Stress uh, and all the pressure of of not winning and having to win, uh, the COVID stuff. I, I think he just supports them to be good at what they do, and I love that. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think the whole thing is authentic. There's something about um, you know the old world, the old teams um, that used to be about for me wealth, fame, and looks. That's what it was about. You know, if you, if you think back to the WAGs and you think back to, you know, the days of Beckham and so on, you know, and you, you put a filter on, on those days of wealth, fame, and looks. Wealth, fame, and looks. How much of a distraction was that away from uh, all of those players feeling supported to do what they do well individually? And collectively, I think I think that's the the biggest thing. I think he's got rid of that kind of uh, focus. I mean, I'm sure there's some of it there, um, but they, they they seem more emotionally grounded, and I think they can put their egos, um, you know, they park their egos somewhere before they go and play. Uh, and and those those egos of the past were built on wealth, fame, and looks. And I think I think we've gone into a different era now. Um, which I think's bloody exciting. Really brilliant. It's 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 a fabulous place uh for us to get to.
0: And we needed that. I mean God.
1: Um but yeah, fair play to um the Danes, I think they put in a good effort, didn't they?
0: They did, and and especially given um, the awful TV coverage of one of their players having a cardiac arrest those few weeks ago, and therefore there was always this extra player in their minds they were kind of playing for. Um, And I have to say, um, I suspect it wouldn't have gone to extra time without Schmeichel um, as the Danish goalkeeper. Um, He is a phenomenal... Isn't he just... Yeah, I mean, bubble,
1: bubble, bubble,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, my biggest fear was penalties. Although, arguably, Pickford and Schmeichel are the two best goalkeepers in existence, from what I understand currently. <clears throat> but in Is any that case, right? oh, yeah, wow. if you read all that. That's good the, to know. <laughs> yeah, so we... <laughs> one we, of them's out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've got the other one. And I think that um, anyway. I mean, I, I'm not again. I'm not a football pundit, but certainly watching football last night. Um, I felt um, that I've never seen the, the football as good as it looked at points. There were certain points where we were lagging, I think, and when we went 1-0 down, I think, for 15 minutes. But in any case, I think, look, the, the reason we wanted to dwell on this, um, and it's not, and again, for many of you listening to this, perhaps weeks, months, time, and of course, by the time the next episode goes out, we'll know whether we have won it or we, we didn't. But doesn't matter. We've got further than we've ever got before. And, and a lot of the coverage is about southgate's team southgate's boys um some are saying um um obviously it's that, that the tottenham oh why's my why, my brain gone what's his name which who the one the, the what's called the penalty for us um yeah him oh oh harry kane there you go there you go someone in the chat box has just put it for us thanks <laughs> Oh, he's probably, he probably knows all about football. Yeah, he's listening oh to us. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. Um, I, So I think we've done quite well to talk about this long. I tell you what, what, what I'm going to write to the BBC and I'm going to say, I've got this um, mate of mine who's actually, you know, he's got, he's not that fully knowledge about football, but he can talk about football till the cows come home. Um, would, you, um, would you replace Gary Lineker um, with my mate Ant? Because he can actually talk about football and make it reasonably interesting and and i think he's worth 1.3 million a year
0: it's it's an interesting side note the Lineker thing because in the british press this week there has been the annual bbc pay Um, publication so for those listening internationally each year the British Broadcasting Corporation which is our public state broadcaster ultimately in the UK publishes anyone that earns over I think it's 400,000 a year or is it less it's less than I think it's two I think it's over 100,000 a year now and a lot due to the scrutiny of the public eye, of course, and it being the taxpayer, some of them have taken a pay cut. And I did laugh when it said, well, Zoe Ball and Caroline Lenkoff both taking pay cuts. Like, OK. And I've never, ever understood, me and JB have radio backgrounds, how most of those top 10 people are radio presenters and the listening figures do not translate to their costs. Over. They really don't. Steve Over. Wright, way overpaid. Scott Mills, way, way overpaid. Zoe Ball... Eye-wateringly overpaid.
1: Eye-wateringly outrageous. I mean, I think she's over a million. Or
0: yeah, one point my... one million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is. And and where's what's interesting, by the way, is is something that Graham Norton runs it through his own limited company. So of course he doesn't get published like others yeah, do. But there's yeah. a probability that a lot of these people are on a lot higher salaries, but they're not directly on payroll. And of course, so long as they can demonstrate, they definitely are from a production company rather than a single employee business. Um, so I think that's why some of them are there. A- anyway, interesting on, <laughs> we're on the Lineker thing. are not at all. No, but, but interesting on the Lineker thing, um, I read somewhere, would you rather Southgate or Lineker were managing England? And I would say Southgate all day long oh, because too. of the humility. Um, I think it's well documented that Mr. Lineker, uh, and he may be softening now. I mean, I'm, I, I think he is, a, with the years and years of experience he's had, he's a pretty talented sports broadcaster. Now that yeah, can't be denied. Definitely. Definitely, um, and actually, um, I think he has a good moral compass most of the time. Um, but I do think he's okay. Twitchy there from JB. I do think he's incredibly arrogant. Um, you know, like the, the 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 sports hero at school that just you know most of the people that hated. Um, or the girls liked because they also were big to sport and stuff but in any case um it, 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 the the, the Lineker reference was interesting but no i don't think i could replace Lineker and probably not you either sadly hmm. as for zoe ball okay. well let's leave that for yeah. discussion well i think i think
1: you and i could do a to a, a breakfast show on on radio 2 quite happily
0: yeah
1: whether we'd end up with any listeners i don't know no. but it doesn't seem we... to matter anyway as far as zoe ball's concerned Sorry, no. Zoe, but your programme's really shit.
0: As is Steve Wright's. Steve Terrible. Wright.
1: Oh, my God. He needs to be put out to pasture. Sorry to a global audience.
0: 450 grand a year. I mean, we're good. <sighs> anyway. Um, for rope. Indeed. And, and we left that industry because unless you work for the BBC, there's no money in it. <laughs> Um, at any level, really, is well, there? Well, that so, is true, that is true. And that's why most of the broadcasts, independent broadcasts, have all been amalgamated and monopolised and because actually no one else really wants to do it, um, which is a shame, really. But there we go, a different discussion for a different day. Industries that fail, but not because of leadership, but as outside the leadership's control. There's an interesting episode. I
1: love the conversation about failure. I'd like to, I'd like to, to do failure again, spectacularly.
0: I, I think leading failure is a tricky one and i do and just very briefly you know i know that there has been ceos appointed to wind down a business you know the other ceo has been booted out the private equity firm are saying we can't afford to lose any more than this much in the next couple of years and it needs to be wound down and the assets need to be liquidated so that we get something back to the shareholders or we need to diversify and i i would you know you're pretty much being told you're being appointed captain jb and here is your your vessel the titanic And by the way, it's just an iceberg. Good luck. See you later. Um, And that, yeah, is an interesting point of discussion, I suspect. Um, Should we go to listener questions or do you want to cover anything else before we move on to it? Because there's a couple of interesting questions. And by the way, if you've got one in the live audience, you can submit it um, via the Q&A box or you can, um, if you're listening on the recordings, you can send it in to seedl.com
1: one of the listener questions i think is um potentially going to stimulate some interesting debate yes so let's do it
0: okay first name only so i'm allowed to use first name anna asks and didn't say where she's from i presume she identifies as she so i've just referred to anna as she anna asks is there a rights level that you should invoke of fear on your people as a leader after you (laughs) (laughs)
1: um well so uh i i think it's all about intention isn't it Mm. it's about intention i i i have never ever felt that it was a good idea to evoke fear in anyone um at any time i i just don't buy that I don't. I don't know that that's a, a good way of doing things. I think no. better to get it better to communicate um, the, the situation uh, that we are in. Uh, yes, uh, sometimes it is urgent, and we have a burning house, um, and that we need to deal with it. But I, I think it's pretty obvious to people uh, if you communicate well uh, that this is a this is a moment uh, to be a little bit fearful. But I don't. My intention would never be, never to be, to make people fearful. I I think I would give them communication and understanding of a situation that may well lead them uh, to feel fear uh, about something. Uh, for example, asking somebody uh, to stand up in front of an audience of two hundred and fifty people. Um, and talk about the company's strategy, Uh, like what you've just (laughs) explained to me. I'd really like you to stand up in front of everybody in this town hall uh, and explain that. So uh, how about next Thursday? Knowing that this is going to evoke a whole load of fear uh, in this other person, but I guess uh, if they are able to use that as their own experience uh of dealing with that fear uh that interference as a as a learning opportunity uh then i think it's it's reasonable uh to to explore that with them having said that i wouldn't throw them into uh doing a public communication like that in front of 250 people if they hadn't had any sort of experience of doing that before i think that would be unfair and unreasonable but if if their competence um, was sufficient and i knew that their competence was sufficient and this would just be a uh, a challenge that they could deal with with the intent of them achieving it or perhaps maybe even failing it a little bit um, so that there's some learning there. That would be my feeling on it. It's the challenge that you set that would evoke fear in them, but that's not the intent. The intent is about their performance and their learning as a result of, of creating the conditions for them to feel that emotion and to be able to manage it again and again and again, and to become able to deal with fear more effectively in given areas unique to
0: them. Hmm. So it's funny, isn't it, how we read these questions and interpret them always slightly differently. Um, So is there a right level of fear? I think the word fear is probably the one that's a little bit tricky to to navigate safely, Um, going back to my captain of a ship metaphor. Um, So there's there's two angles for this, I'm going to go with the um, accountability on people angle first. And secondly, I will talk about um, the damage you can do by ruling by fear if you're a leader. Um, On the accountability thing first. um, I think if people are underperforming in their role, they need to understand the risk of non-compliance. And I think if there is not a level of accountability in place, which is purely objective, by the way, you know, ultimately, if they have a KPI and it's not being delivered, they have to understand there are consequences to that. And as a people leader, you are not doing your job if you don't challenge that person on their underperformance and make them accountable for that. And I think that for me is where at the moment um, leaders that lack that ability to have those elephant in the room conversations are at risk of having too lower level of fear. Fear being probably the wrong word, but let's use it because that's the word used in the question. So my take is, there should be a level of accountability on people, and you are within your right as a leader, if those accountabilities are objective and fair and agreed upfront. If that person isn't meeting their objectives, they should feel the hand on the shoulder to suggest this ain't going right. And if you don't, as a leader, challenge underperformance, you create a culture of acceptance of poor performance. And that's where, as a leader, I think you do have to push your people to 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 have that, not that fear, but that, that level of accountability.
1: Well, I think that's the, you see, that's the point, Ant, isn't it? Your intent is not to create fear no. in that individual. So it is actually being highly assertive in explaining that this performance or behaviour is, is, uh, not quite what we agreed, and it's 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 really making me feel frustrated uh, that it's it's kind of letting you down, and it's letting the team down. And I'm I'm giving you the that, that feedback because I I want you to be able uh, to to deal with it so so that you can get this back on track. That might evoke fear, uh, but that's not the intent. The intent is to help this person, support this person challenge challenge them appropriately. So I, th- I think it's all in the challenge. Uh, fear is, is potentially an outcome from challenging. I think a team that, um, this might sound like a contradiction, but I don't think it is, uh, you know, a team of individuals uh, who are able to assimilate a situation that will create the conditions for fear in them uh, like this is a very, very big deal, we are going to take over this company um, or, um, you know, we are going... <coughs> Bless me. <laughs> that blew my systems out. Woo! Um, we are we are going to uh, take this on board. Can we edit that out? Possibly. For, sorry about the live audience. I'll have to probably... I drove into a bus or something. Um so uh where was I? Yes. Uh getting getting people to be able to deal with fear and being able to talk about that. So you know our job as leaders and managers is not not to evoke fear. We're not there to create the conditions for fear. No we don't. That's not our goal. But uh, we we want to innovate we want to create optimal challenge in our team and that optimal challenge for some uh will be uh fear inducing fear creating yeah. and we can't do anything in life without a little bit of fear now and again otherwise we go into a fixed mindset state uh like our friend carol dweck uh, says in her book mindset i was going to say she does it or she... oh, I right, yes she well she understands uh, the relationship between uh you know challenge optimal challenge and and fear. Some people don't do anything different to what they did 20 years ago because they live in a climate and an environment of fear and their autonomy uh, is not supported. Their competence is is not supported. Uh, They don't feel confident in their competence, just about where it was before, but the idea of this, you're kidding. I can't possibly learn to drive uh, look what happened last time. Um, so, I I think it's a fabulous. Whoever asked this question, um, Anna Maria, is it? Yes, Anna. Anna, sorry, I've added Maria to your name as well, just for good measure. But um, I I think it's a fabulous question, and thank you for it because uh, it, it's 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 one. I think it's one to discuss with a team about its uh, appetite for fear and its capability of dealing with fear in uh, in work i think it's a i think it's a fabulous question we've got any more
0: um we have yeah i just want to come back on one other thing because um i think my other i had two points one was around the accountability piece the second one is um i think so i i used to work for somebody that used a culture of fear to rule um they didn't have that rule with me because I pushed back on it, but they were, to be honest, a bully. Um, And they created through passive aggression, a team of people that were always fearful of their jobs because they didn't know what what, what their situation was. And I had a colleague specifically who was under UK law, under two years' service, pretty much all you need is, is is your notice, and you can get rid of somebody effectively. And I know that's actually better than you'd find in the US, for example. But in any case, and um, this person was under two years' notice, uh, under two years' service, and for the entire two years, they felt that they were um, useless, uh, un unvalued. Um, but they brought up such a network in the business that the business knew they were valued. But their boss had this 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 rule of fist over them. Um, but of course, this salary that they were on was a very good salary. And therefore, I guess you could say it comes with the territory. Um, but it, 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 it created this situation where they didn't want to leave because they couldn't afford to, they couldn't afford the risk of leaving and going to another company. And their confidence was also being hugely battered, which therefore they didn't believe they were competent to do the job they were doing anyway. And it was awful to watch. And in the end, I think it took several of us to kind of mentor this person through this period until they were beyond the two years. In the meantime, I left the company um, and actually I had made a few remarks to my boss about their behavior. And uh, I nearly said their gender then, I'm trying to keep it neutral. They then responded quite abruptly to say, well, um, I don't treat you the way I treat them because you're competent. I said, but that's in your opinion. But do you still think it's reasonable to treat someone in that way? Because if they're not competent, what are you doing to support their competent development? If their will is there, or if they are beyond help, why are you not putting them out of their misery? This isn't fair on anybody. And it's giving a reputation that you are a bully. They didn't like it. (laughs) Um, But equally, they knew I was in a space where, and I certainly wasn't arrogant, I I had a lot of humility but I could challenge because I knew that my role for me to be eliminated from that role at that point was a very dangerous move for the business. So I was in a safe space to challenge upwards effectively. I didn't trust that person at all, but I knew that the business needed me to the point that I could be a bit pushy over and above my peers. But it was an awful, awful place towards the end. And I know that there are of that leader, and that, that leader didn't hire me, I, I that, that leader inherited me when they moved into the role. Um, but uh, of the direct reports that were there when that person joined, only I think two are left of the 13 direct reports that person had. And it tells you everything you need to know about what too much fear does to engagement and keeping good people. And there was an incredibly good, talented group of people there. So. A oh, good question
1: well it goes it goes back to that point about power with power over mm. you know pa- power over people um, such as bullying uh micromanaging highly directive managers uh reduce the autonomy and the authenticity of the team and its individuals and you know what does that actually mean it, it means that people are wandering about not being themselves uh, because you know they are controlled uh, by some other force, they they can't be themselves. You know they they are they are not uh, trusted. Uh, they are not supported with their level of confidence and competence. Um, I bet that the challenges that are set by those bullies and micromanagers are probably un, unrealistic and unreasonable, um, and therefore the control. Uh, is this extrinsic target factor um, that if set unrealistically and then a climate of fear is created on top of that, uh, then that is about the worst management uh, trait you could ever have in a business. And no wonder uh, all those people left. No, No surprise, no surprise at all.
0: Uh, There are two other questions, and it's your last chance in the audience to get a question. And if you would like to, please submit it in the Q&A box. But I have two listener questions submitted by email. One is quite an amusing one, and it's actually directly to you, JV. It's not to me, which is, are your pictures deliberately wonky or do you have a wonky roof? (laughs) From Gareth in Aylesbury, UK. Uh,
1: Is this serious? Yes. That's funny.
0: Okay, Gareth. But 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 do you realise what we see? Because I can see what they mean Yeah Okay, right
1: This is my shed At the bottom of the garden And it sounds like I'm going to start a poem Mm. Um, But the, the fact is That the shed roof Is at an angle And The pictures are actually Mostly Square As you can probably see Yeah um, but the, yeah, the, it's the roof that's a funny angle. Um, maybe if I compensated, if I sort no, of no, 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 like that then the hung pictures the, look wonky, don't they? No, but then if I hung the pictures like that, and then but then I'd have to do that all the time. Then you have a neck. shoulder injury. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: just hey, it's funny, isn't it? This is what happens in a digital world. So JB's camera is actually level. It's the roof that gives you the impression that he's putting pictures towards the ceiling um but yeah there well you go.
1: that's so is that, is that does it make you feel a bit queasy gareth i mean if it's off-putting then you know maybe i have to redesign the shed and <laughs> imagine oh. in a few episodes time the roof's off like <laughs> <by> gareth aylesbury <laughs> here you go um well so there is a there is a new development for the shed um coming soon uh, which was all part of the game plan um just i just got a bit sort of bogged down with uh, writing a book and building courses and stuff like that and bongoing but uh you can see if you're in the in the um audience you can see over here where my finger is pointing there is a big window here uh and that is where i am going to put a green screen that will hang most of the time And then my location is going to change and I will be in front of my green screen, which means I can have all sorts of backings behind me, Um, forests, uh, seascapes, landscapes, uh, swimming pools, whatever. Um, So thank you for that, Gareth. I'm not quite sure uh, what what to, to say about that other than what I've said.
0: Um, I'm now going to find a background image that I can think I can do without a green screen. So hold on a second. This is only exciting for the... the oh, and just
1: and whilst force. he's doing that, Gareth, there's another thing that I'd want to point out. That You'll see the little square boxes in the corner of the uh, shed roof. Those those are my pride and joy. They are my bow speakers. Um, so sometimes Ant has now put a fantastic uh, backdrop uh, on his screen he's got a black and white uh, kind of paisley print. Uh, Oh, he's now got a couple of ears from a little deer, I believe. Mm. That, do you know, I tell you what, that works quite well, those ears. Does it? Yeah, it goes well with your head. Look at this one then. Oh God, I thought that was something else for a minute. No. Um, No, that's nice. No. I'm I'm not sure this is good um, good Good broadcasting because yeah because I don't think anyone can really. Ant has got a great big hand that he looks like he's sitting on, and now he's got a dartboard, and the elephant in the room,
0: which is we need to move on probably. Yeah,
1: thank you, Ant, for that because that was a nice little
0: uh, trip. What down a visual
1: a visual trip?
0: Yes. Um, okay um the next question is uh, how do you overcome um uh, imposter syndrome as a new manager <gasps> Oh I think we've done an episode on that haven't we I think That's we anonymous. did
1: Yeah Well you start this one Ant, because I I I opened up on the last one I think it's time for you now to to shine to shine Come
0: Um on. okay imposter syndrome being a new manager um it's a big old topic and um what can I give you in the space of three minutes, um, which we probably have left before we wrap up the podcast. Um, it's difficult, I think that the problem you have is and the context would be useful to give a bit more specific as an answer. But when you become a people leader, the competencies required to be a people leader change, you need to be, um, I guess, somebody that is seen as authentic, like we talked about with Gareth Southgate earlier, but also It depends on the level of competence you need to have with the individual contributor piece you did previously. So if you're managing people that are effectively looking up to you for guidance, um, that's great for you to build credibility. Initially, first four to six weeks, you can build your confidence on the knowledge you can share with those people, which is your wisdom from the past. But I would argue the best thing you can do to reduce your imposter syndrome is actually to number one, realize that most of your direct reports probably have a comfortable level of fear because you're the new boss. Uh, <laughs> to it into the previous question. Um, but equally, the competencies I would suggest you really focus on is creating a, a vision. You know, Actually sitting down with all of your people, using this time of year as a good point and mid-year review kind of, kind of conversation and to say the things they like and don't like about the job. So have kind of coaching conversations with those individuals to understand what they like, what they don't like, um, their aspirations and so on. And then off the back of that, maybe have some time with your people and build some sort of vision or team purpose. I think things like that can be really helpful because not only is that completely alien to all of your people's expertise, they're now judging you on building a team rather than um the competencies that may have put them into that team you're not being judged on anything that they are probably more experienced in either so try and pick on some things that you can develop easily that are alien to everybody Uh, me and jb get still get imposter syndrome even now doing face-to-face events and virtual events when it's new content because we just don't know if it's going to work and things but the what we what we often tell ourselves repeatedly is actually we're hopefully adding value to the people in the room off the back of it and my question to you is is that therefore what unique value can you bring to your people that allows you to reduce your imposter syndrome so that build a compelling vision about what you want to do with the team you know you've taken over the team what did you say interview that got you that promotion or got you that job And now you need to excite those people with actually this, you know, what made me join this company was this, what made me apply for this job is this. And I think those sorts of things can build it up. As for direct reports coming to you for guidance, I would say work on the ways of communicating with them rather than giving guidance. Uh, And me and JB, if you don't know, on Seedle.com have a number of different leadership programs we run, which really helps um, leaders focus on the competencies of managing and leading and coaching people rather than being a technical expert. Often, I think where new leaders go wrong with imposter syndrome is they think they have to be the smartest person in the room, and they don't need to be. Um, you hire those individual contributors to bring in their expertise. Your role is to lead, manage, and coach those people to make sure you get the best of them for the business. That would be my only take with the limited time we have, Mr. Bradley. What have I missed?
1: well it's not that you've missed anything i think that's a really really cool um way of looking at it and um i th- this is my own personal way of dealing with this stuff by the way and um <laughs> the risk of sounding rep- um repetitive i i think just um just doing some damn good breathing um really good inward breaths really good outward breaths when you feel that these things are getting on top of you um sometimes people just forget to breathe really well and you get really stressed out and um so on a physical level uh attend to that um make sure that you um you know go and spend some time on the loo uh or go and spend some time walking around um you know outside the office or something just get out of it and give yourself time uh, to think. Now, so that's the physical, okay? Sometimes get yourself out of the situation and the feeling that you have, don't forget to breathe. And uh, This is me, what I do, okay? So you you might think it's mad. That's okay. I don't mind. I'm very comfortable with being mad. Um, you probably are aware of the technique that people use to sell things. Uh, there is a thing called the bronze package, the silver package, and the gold package now uh, a lot of people a lot of managers and leaders think that when they go into that situation in their new role or whatever it is they've got to be gold they've got to do the gold thing and so they've got all of this vision and this visualization of being the gold package it's probably quite unrealistic to be the gold package and you might end up trying too hard and you're going to get a whole load of voices kicking in then that are going to massively interfere with your progress. So um, here's here's a way of looking at things. Um, what what is the best situation? You know, the very best of you turning up and being the greatest leader on the planet. You know, what does that look like? Visualize that, um, and then you know, if if you can really imagine the worst the worst situation no one respects me no one likes me no one trusts me in this role everything's gone pear-shaped everyone's leaving um and i'm stressed out of my head and i've i've forgotten to breathe you know worst case scenario now um what i think if for me is the thing that really works is the bit in between those two points you know, this crazy perfection idea that I can't deliver on. And when I was much, much younger, as a younger manager, I had this kind of really crazy perfection idea about what I had to do every day. And it made me uptight and it made me quite controlling. And um, I felt that I had to kind of have the power over and direct. Uh, And it wasn't me. I wasn't authentic. I really couldn't be authentic like that. Um, and clearly, I don't want to be the worst manager on the planet. so where's where's the happy medium in between? This is where I recommend my third and final point to this trilogy uh, of breathing and then doing this filtering of worst, best, and most likely. Uh, i I think you then get somebody, a mate, whether at work or outside of work, who can give you a damn good listening to. And go through the bronze, silver, and gold of the world, because we we really, really have a tendency to go for silver as human beings. We don't like the idea of gold. Gold's a bit weird. Bronze is not good enough. So we we, we you know and and getting used to the idea that silver is good enough, and you'll bounce off silver and do the occasional gold, but don't think you've always got to deliver gold. It's not possible it it, at some point the wheels come off don't put yourself under that pressure that's my own experience I'm sharing it with you you probably think it's mad I don't really mind if you do but hopefully there's something useful in all of that oh I feel quite exhausted Oh, I've lost your volume.
0: Yeah, sorry, I muted myself there because I'm in an echoey room, aren't I? Um, that's our hour up, ladies and gents. But um, as ever, if you've got any listener questions, you can submit them to glp seedl.com or you can submit them on gmail.com or, of course, you can find us on social media. Um, any exciting plans for the weekend ahead, apart from the obvious oh! on Sunday?
1: <laughs> well, just I'm just preparing um, for that. Uh, I, sh- I, w- I will be doing lots of exercise, getting ready for the match in the pub um and uh what else it's a football crazy weekend i'm giving up everything just to to have a a little bit of a football weekend I, i reckon i could get back into football i've been angry with football i've been really hacked off with it hacked off with football but i think it's coming home
0: And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, um, we'll bid you farewell. I've been Anthony Price. And I've been JB.
1: Getting back into football. Football is coming home.
0: Yay! Bye-bye.